morning. I like that. Great energy. So glad to see y'all. Well, it's Celebration Sunday, uh, which we got to celebrate. We got to start our celebration by hearing some amazing children talk about how uh, Jesus has uh, changed their life. Um, and we're going to get to end with some celebration. And right now, I'd like to continue some celebration. Um, I found out that yesterday, a number of people graduated from A&M. So if you graduated yesterday, can you raise your hand? Anybody? Anybody? Excellent. Lots of people. I see you, Ryan. I see you, Ryan. All right. Um, okay, so uh, that's funny. Actually, I ran into you. I ran into him yesterday, and uh, your, um, your gown had lots of decor on it. Mine was like more of a just black with nothing on it, but I graduated, so take that, mom and dad. Um, uh, also, um, we're celebrating the very lovely, the very talented Trey Corey and his bride have been married for 17 years uh, as of yesterday. So, Trey, I don't know if he's in here. I usually don't like to big him up uh, publicly, so don't tell him that I said anything. Uh, but we're really, uh, we're really excited uh, for him as well. Um, Andrea and I, my wife and I, have uh, we've been married this summer. will be 17 years uh, for us as well. And uh, it's always a fun moment to reflect on uh, the previous years uh, of being together, the ways, that, uh, the ways that we've grown, the ways that we've changed, the ways that we've progressed and matured or, or, or not so much. And uh, one of the things that really struck me was I was thinking back to our very first year married. So Andre and I have this really unique uh, aspect of our marriage where when we come together over a common project, we tend to maybe bicker uh, get a little bit frustrated. I know that none of y'all deal with this when you work with somebody else, but just pretend for a moment that this problem exists, that when two people, especially married, come together to work on one project, there's some opinions being shared, there's some defensiveness that happens. Uh, well, this happened, this came to a, uh, uh, to, um, a surface, our first year married, I was changing our ceiling fan in our living room. And uh, so what happened was I stood on this thing uh, that was sort of like a ladder um, that I found uh, on the curb right before trash day. It was metal and it was six feet tall. I'm fairly sure it was a ladder. It also could have been like a cheap shelf from Ikea. Either way, I stood on the top step, which they say never do that. And I'll say again from the stage, never do that. But I stood on the top shelf to change this fan and my hand is messing with like wires and screws that I can't see. And when I stepped on top of that top step, the ladder did this also. So um, I clearly am, am an expert at changing ceiling fans. So uh, I looked down and my, uh, my lovely bride of less than one year is sitting right underneath the fan. So in a moment of clarity, I say, hey, Andrea. Um, would you mind moving to the side? Uh, because I don't want something to happen in the fan fall. I enjoy being married to you. I would like the marriage to last beyond this event. So, um, so she does. She kind of moves to the side. And then I go about my business of trying to balance and reach and figure out what I'm doing. So then Andrea says to me these words that just make you feel good. She said, hey, Ryan, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> so... Um, I've never changed a fan. I'm messing with wires that I can't even see. And I'm standing on something that I have no idea can hold me. So what's my response to her? 
Yes, of course I know what I'm doing, Andrea. How could you ask me that? I'm standing up here doing it. Obviously, I know what I'm doing. How dare you question my competency? As I'm thinking through this and saying some of it as well, the ceiling fan crashes to the ground, explodes all over the living room, and uh, we just have this uh, exchanged look that um, most likely she was saying, I told you so, but I'm interpreting it as I love you. I'm so glad you're safe. Um, But we had this moment. Well, uh, fast forward now uh, 15 years, and another thing about Andre and I is that we love impulsive adventures. So we love getting to a place where um, this past spring break, on Saturday, we're like, hey, we took the week off, we've got vacation, what do you want to do? And so we, on Saturday, had no idea, and on Monday morning, at the crack of dawn, we're leaving for Big Ben to stay there for a week and to camp out, who knows where, there's no reservations. Um, And, uh, you know, it's frustrating to our friends, because you know, plans. Um, But we get on this adventure because we love the impulsive adventure. Well, a new impulsive adventure that we embarked on was a renovation project. So this was years after the ceiling fan incident. And we, uh, we start on this project and it's like a total renovation thing. It's like we're doing floors, insulation, walls, ceiling, electrical, plumbing, all that good stuff. And so you know that every day we had those kind of moments where she would want to say, hey, do you know what you're doing? And I would not want to hear that question from her. But we have these moments. But what we had to realize over the course of our 17 years married, we had to realize and to trust one another. That we each bring gifts to the table, and yes, we bring our baggage as well, but we each bring gifts to the table to accomplish the tasks that we're set up for. And in this case, it was this renovation project. What I had to do is I had to realize and I had to trust that Andrea is wired to be a crazy hard worker. She's going to work sun up to well beyond sundown and not take any breaks in between. She's going to make sure that the mission gets fulfilled of building this thing. But I bring gifts to the table as well. I have expertise expertise. I have skills. I know how to look things up on YouTube and then try to perform them as well. So I bring some skills to the table also. But we had to trust one another. We had to trust that she has gifts and I have gifts that are going to help us accomplish our mission. Well, as we continue our uh, series this morning, we're going to learn about somebody named Philip. So he is in, thank you, uh, he is, we learned about him in Acts 6 and 8. So you can turn to Acts 6 right now if you want. So here's what I want for us to do before we even get started talking about Philip. Uh, You know, in this series, we're talking about these amazing heroes of the faith, uh, these uh, foundations for ministry, for church ministry. And I think uh, what I'm nervous about is that we may have the temptation to say, uh, okay, well, that's a spiritual super giant, uh, but I can't relate to that. I have no idea how to do the things that Philip did. He's whirled up in the Holy Spirit and goes from place to place. That's not relevant to me. But what Philip's trying to do is he's trying to model for us a faithful life in ministry. He's trying to model for us that first and foremost, what's most important is our character, who we prove ourselves to be. And we have to have that before we can move on into ministry or into mission. See, for him, character was always forming him and undergirding and providing the foundation for his ministry. And his ministry was always feeding off of the character that he exemplified that we'll see about in Acts 6. 
But my fear is that we could sit here and we could learn about these uh, heroes of our faith and we could kind of absolve ourselves from responsibility saying, yeah, but does Philip know how to meet payroll at the end of a month that's been a little bit low? Does Philip know how to parent these young children and have zero time? Does Philip know how to uh, enter into uh, the life of somebody with special needs, a loved one with special needs? Does Philip know any of these things? On and on we go disqualifying these people in our faith. And so what I want for us to do is I want for us to realize Philip is modeling for us what the faithful Christian life looks like for all of us, both inside the church and outside the church as well, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we learn, all of these things. He's modeling what it looks like to be a faithful minister of the gospel in his character and in his mission. So uh, Acts 6.1 says this, Now at the time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now when he says serve tables, uh, real fast, uh, this is not like he doesn't want to be a waiter. That's not the concept he's going for. Serving tables means, hey, um, uh, I'm a host. I need to be a host type of person. Um, So therefore, verse 3, therefore, brethren congregation, select from, upon, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we put in charge of this task. So um, what's so captivating about this chapter, we're, okay, chapter six, is that four chapters back, we have this quintessential ethic of the church. This is the type of church that we all envision being a part of. And, uh, and uh, it's called the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter two, we see this church that was faithful to one another. They lived out being a new family. It says that they continued in the apostles' teaching. They were obedient. They were faithful to it. It says that they um, had meals together. These people who were formerly like enemies are now brought to the same table and they share a meal together because of their, because their family. It said that they shared with one another such that none of them had need. And the Lord added to them daily those who were being saved. So you have this vision of church, which is exciting, which is captivating. And then you have this that's happening in this church in Acts chapter 6, where you have division. You have one group of people that's getting preferential treatment over another group of people, the Hellenists. So you have division. What in the world happened from this beautiful vision of the church to this end result where there is division? You have people. We're the problem. We're the issue that happens inside of the church. That we, we are the ones that have to get sometimes babysat. It's us. We're the problem. And so the super apostles, these preachers, the Blake Jennings of the day, they're saying, I want to go out and I want to preach the word because it's inside of me and I can't hold it back anymore. I want to go out and I want to be faithful to the gospel. I want to tell everybody I know about the life that can be found in Christ. That forgiveness can be found only in him. That the long-awaited savior that we've yearned for, that we've begged for is here. And he invites us into not just eternal life, but abundant life. Where you can have lives of peace. Where you can extend love to one another and to God. So they want to go out and they want to continue that mission because it's important. But they're realizing, oh my gosh. Look what we're drawing into this, this group. People are wheeling their baggage into this common group. Into this family. And we have to care for them. So these disciples, these Blake Jennings of the day say, we got to care for them. 
So he goes to the church and he says, hey church, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do a vote. No need for committees. We don't do that yet. Uh, we're going to go to the church and say, hey, I want for y'all, church, faithful disciples of Jesus, select from among you seven people. And here's some qualities that I want to make sure that they have. One for them to have a good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom that could be put in charge of a task. First thing, good reputation. Dang it. Every time I say this, the Taylor Swift song is in my head. And even as I said that, it's probably going to happen to y'all too. But um, a good reputation. Here's what's lost in the, uh, maybe in the translation. This word for reputation, it's not talking about like, oh, he's the, the good guy that like always smiles and is nice to people. Or the woman who's just always um, kind to everybody and speaks highly and encourages. He's not talking about that. No, it's much more than this. This is the word marturio, from which we get the word martyr. Select from among you seven martyrs. Now, mind you, a martyr isn't somebody who dies for their faith, although that's part of it even in the next chapter. No, a martyr is somebody that testifies to Christ. They are a faithful, credible witness So Philip and the other seven were the type of people that whether they were in their office or whether they were at home or whether they were in the service of the church in all areas of life, they wore the hat of testifying to the goodness of Jesus, both in their words and in their deeds. It means that they are known to be the type of people who are anchored in the hope of the gospel. It doesn't mean that they go to work and say, okay, well, it's actually complicated. Uh, so Sunday, I value Sunday and I uh, value church, but I've got these really complex issues in the office that I have to deal with. No, there's no such thing. There's no incongruence for Philip or for these other guys. In all areas of their life, they're living as people rooted and anchored in the kingdom of God. Have a good reputation. Next is that they would be full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. When, we, when they think of this at the time, they're going to they're conjure up a few different images. One is uh, Jesus was filled with the Spirit after his baptism. Uh, he is filled with the Spirit, and it leads him into the wilderness, at the end of which he's tempted by uh, Satan and victoriously overcomes. So you have this moment where being filled with the Spirit is leading. You have, in the very next chapter, you have uh, Stephen who's filled with the Spirit. And he's filled with the Spirit means his eyes are fixed on the glory of God. And as people around him, as his enemies pick up stones to hurl at him, and he goes down and he dies and he suffers, his eyes are so transfixed on Jesus that it doesn't matter what's happening around him. His gaze is fixed on Christ. Or you have filled with the Spirit earlier in Acts in this vibrant setting when the Holy Spirit goes out among the people where they're speaking in languages they had never spoken before. They're learning how to communicate the gospel to these strangers in their own language. They'd never done that before, but they are filled with the Spirit and it allows them to do ministry. So these are all snapshots of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But right here, we're talking about an ethic. We're talking about a way of life. To be filled with the Spirit means that in all things... I'm, I'm uh, faithful, that I'm loving, I'm gentle, I'm self-controlled, I'm kind. That in all of these things, this is who I am. Whether I'm at work, or whether I'm at the office, or whether I'm at school, or whatever it is, I'm filled with the Spirit. And then, that they would be full of wisdom also. You know what's interesting about this? And at this point, I'm a little bit reading into the text, so just a qualifier. Um... But you know what's an interesting observation about this? 
Um, so remember the issue in the church, it was the Hellenists, the Greek uh, Jews that were being kind of neglected. You know who the church elected to be leaders, to be one of the seven? It was all Greek guys. It was all Greeks. Can you imagine the power shift that's going to happen? That the people who were neglected were now in power? So can you imagine one of the seven, if one of my widows that I was close to, or maybe even my mom or whoever it is, if they were neglected, now I'm in power, I can do something about it. Can you imagine the temptation to act toward bitterness toward the native Jews and to give extra to the Hellenists? No, because they're wise. They're full of the fear of God. They not only know right from wrong, they execute rightness and they speak out and act out against wrong. So I do want to brag on Grace Bible Church real fast. Um, you know, want to keep my job. So um, uh, we no longer, I'll say this with 100% certainty, we treat our Hellenist Jewish widows the exact same that we treat our Middle Eastern Jewish widows. We treat them the exact same in here. There's no discrimination at all. So we're going to put that in the newsletter, chalk it up as a win. Congratulations, Grace Bible Church. We've got this win. So way to go. Pat ourselves on the back. But we've got other issues, don't we? I mean, just think about it. What are the divisions that we have? Think about within the body of Christ, within this room. Within this room, we have divorce. We have abuse. We have separation. We have anger. We have bitterness. We have all of these things. All of us wheel our baggage into this building. It's just there. So we can't let ourselves off the hook and say, well, we don't have the Hellenistic issue. No, we've got the issues right now. And the secret is, and the beauty is, we're not looking for seven people that have this ethic, that are this type of person. We're looking for all of us to be like this. Everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, who believes in Christ, is meant to follow this example. We're meant to have this ethic. We're meant to be the type of person that deal righteously and justly with one another. We're meant to be the type of people that are hospitable toward others. So now let's look at Philip. We've got his character. We've got that established. He's, full, he's got a great reputation. He's a martyr. He testifies to Jesus all the time, credibly. He's full of the Spirit. means he's walking in step with the Spirit. And he's wise. He knows right from wrong. And then he executes it as well. So let's see what his ministry looks like. It says in Acts 8, 4 through 6, he goes into Samaria and uh, is with the Samaritans. It says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. So, um, what happened before now was, um, uh, okay, so they elected in, in Acts 6, they elected him as a leader, he's great, he's faithful, he's a wonderful deacon or servant, whatever it is, uh, but he's leading the church. And then in the next chapter we have Stephen, who I mentioned was testifying to Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, and people were being added, uh, but that made some people so angry, uh, specifically Saul, who would later be transformed by uh, the person of Christ and write like most of our New Testament letters, uh, he's standing there and he's angered at this guy, Stephen, for faithfully sharing about who the Messiah is and how our lives might be changed by him. And so they stone, uh, they stone Stephen, Saul, who later become Paul, he's standing right there. And then what happens is we read about in the first part of this chapter is that Saul then goes about ravaging, 
wreaking havoc on the church in Jerusalem. He's knocking on doors, asking who people's allegiance was to. Was it to uh, Yahweh, to the Jewish God, or was it to Christ Jesus? And so everybody's leaving. They're gone. But what do they do on their way? What does Philip do on his way? First thing is they went about preaching. He went about preaching. Do you see how this is grounded in his character? He was a faithful witness. He was a martyr, which is what elected him into church leadership. And so it absolutely makes sense that as he's scattered, as he's leaving, he's going to be faithfully witnessing to Jesus as he leaves. This is character formation that happens in ministry. Do y'all remember, uh, it, gosh, it's been a lot of years now. This is one of my favorite illustrations, uh, illustrations of this. But do y'all remember where um, uh, you have this guy, Captain Sullivan, Sully. Um, he's flying this airport. He left New York City. He's, uh, he's in his cockpit flying people as pilots do. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, he doesn't smell like chicken and fish that airlines usually serve. He uh, smells like roasted goose. Um, and he's like, that's not right, because we don't serve that. Uh, and what happened was a bunch of geese had flown into, the, uh, into one of the uh, engines, and it malfunctioned, and so what did Sully do? Well, in New York City, there's not a lot of retail that you can land a big plane in, so he landed in the Hudson River. Um, and so when people were interviewed afterward, uh, and, and everybody lived, but when people were interviewed afterward, people that knew Captain Sullivan, they saw, um, oh yeah, of course he did that. Yeah, of course, Sully was the type of person that could land a plane safely in the Hudson River. Why did they say that? Because every flight, Captain Sullivan was diligent to work hard at his craft, to be faithful to it. And so his character was formed throughout that whole process so that when he comes to the time of needing to make decisions, kind of the decision has already been made because he's become the type of person that lands the plane in the Hudson River. You and I, when we think about our character and the formation of our character, it's not the crisis moment that that comes up. It's not the, it's not the, um, the moment of trauma or the moment of decision where it's like, oh, Lord, do I do this or do I do this? That's not the moment where our character is formed. Yes, it happens. Our character is formed by the daily decisions and the daily assumptions that we make because they form us into the type of person that makes a type of decision. Does that make sense? I'm just going to assume yes, because, you know, I'm up here. Yeah, so character formation happens in the daily tasks, in the small things. This is why we talk about quiet times all the time. Because it's not that we want you to walk away from quiet times and say, oh my gosh, I've learned everything. Now I know the Bible better than anybody else. No, those things keep you anchored. When you spend time in the Word, it keeps you anchored, because the world is constantly trying, trying to draw us out. This is why we pray. We want to be the type of people that pray. We want to be so in sync with the Spirit, then we listen to the Spirit's voice. Um, So they went about preaching. But you know what? It wasn't easy for these people to go about preaching. They were being persecuted. So what they realized is they had to leave their hometown. They had to go somewhere else because they were preaching the gospel. And people were dying because of the preaching of the gospel. Wouldn't this be the time for us to kind kind of slide into apathy a little bit if we were them? Wouldn't this be the time for us to get out of town, take a vacation, kind of find one another, link up, link arms, and and go into hiding as the church? Wouldn't that be tempting? Because safety is so good. It's so important. Oh my gosh, no. That's not who they were. No, they left town because of persecution. But as they left, they continued to be faithful to the gospel that caused the persecution. 
they went about preaching, and it was costly. Um, And then the final thing about this uh, ministry in Samaria is that it came to an end. Now, uh, that's kind of a weird point to make, that it comes to an end. Of course, everything comes to an end. Um, But what's different about this is that this, this ending is purposeful. So like uh, many times in our society, we think of the end of something when we stop doing something. Sometimes we see it as a failure. But let's watch how uh, Philip responds. Acts 8, 26 through 27 says this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a little desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now here's what I want to highlight. The spirit says, get up and go. Philip got up and went like that. What does this say about Philip? Now let's paint the picture a little more clearly. Philip is in a place where ministry is thriving. He's in a place where people are coming to Jesus right and left in Samaria. He is taking part in the great gospel work of going into the nations. He is at the pinnacle of success and the spirit meets him right there and says, get up and go. And he got up and went. This is a time when you bargain with the spirit, right? This happened. There's a famous pastor in uh, California, had this big mega church. And he said, I'm done. I'm off this. That's great that it's thriving, but the spirit was calling him to get up and go and to be a missionary, and later to be a pastor of tiny churches. So he got up and go. And he received flack, because he left this gigantic pulpit, and he traded it for something smaller. The beauty about Philip's ministry, as we move on to his ministry to one person, the beauty is a thriving ministry in Samaria, where hundreds of people are coming to faith in Jesus, and a ministry to a single man. One guy gets the same airtime. And both of them sit right in the middle of the Acts narrative of the gospel going from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And right in the middle sits Philip as a pivot point in the church. And by the way, we sit there too. The gospel is still going to the nations. And we sit at this pivot point where we think through whether it's international students that come to us or getting up and going. Spirit says, get up and go. We get up and go to the nations. We're still at the pivot point where we can do either one of those. The gospel still must go forth. We find ourselves in the same narrative. But Philip was so linked up with the spirit that when the spirit said, get up and go, he got up and went. What's it like to hear the spirit's voice like that? To come with such clarity and such conviction? I can't imagine. And you know, it says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. But we're going to see later. So like, is it this, you know, angel, bright lights and flaming sword? Is that, is that what's happening? But we're going to see later that it's even these just little promptings that the Spirit has that's prompting him to move forward and take one step into the carriage of this Ethiopian eunuch. Why? Because Philip's not in sync with the Spirit whenever these big decisions happen. He's in sync with the Spirit all along the way in the daily tiny habits he's forming. And I'm going to go through this very, 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 very quickly. The Ethiopian eunuch, it's, and it's really important, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, so this guy from Ethiopia, surprise, um, he's from Ethiopia, um, but he's called a eunuch because what he had done is he had maimed his body uh, in order to be trustful to uh, this queen of Ethiopia, Candace. So he permanently maimed his body. He is no longer the way he was designed and created to be. And so he had just gone to Jerusalem 
to worship. Now, what's happening is he has an affinity toward God, toward the God of Israel. He's like, I mean, I'm intrigued. I want to know more. And so what's his worship look like in Jerusalem? He goes there and he gets right to the spot where he can no longer pass because his body's been maimed, because he's from a different country, he's a stranger and a foreigner, because he worships other gods and hasn't fully understood what it's like to be, uh, to follow the God of Israel. So he stands literally at a wall. And in Ephesians, we read that, that because of Christ, Christ tore down these walls. So there, there's no longer this dividing wall between one person and another. But he stands at this wall and he's looking over, way over there. Oh, that's where God is. So now what do we see Philip do? Philip has left. The Spirit said, hey, go move. Go to this person who's a stranger, who's unclean, who's from a different religion, who's excluded from worship. I want you to go to him. So he goes to him. And then do you know what he did to this guy that's supposed to be behind the wall? The Spirit says, get up into his cart. And so whereas he was formerly a stranger, now he's a family member. Philip gets up into his cart, sits next to him and says, hey, I hear that, I see that you're reading about Jesus, the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. I want to tell you about him. And it says Philip goes on and begins preaching the gospel to him. He says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. So I want to just want to say, for some of you, you're like, uh, okay, I identify with Philip, I get it, I'm supposed to be challenged. And, you know, grow in my faith and all that good stuff. But there's some of you that are like, I don't relate to that. There's others. And then there's some of you who are like, I get that Ethiopian eunuch. I get what it's like to stand outside and to look inside at God and at Jesus, to be intrigued by it, but to have no idea what to do with that. No idea how to move forward. I feel a barrier between us. Can I tell you what this conversation looked like in the chariot? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm tweaking No, I'm not tweaking the text. I'm reading into the text a little bit more. A conversation went like this. Philip says, Ethiopian eunuch, I see that you're broken. Your body is literally broken. I see that you love God, but you are divided. You're you're separated from him because of who you are. But I want you to know that Jesus comes to bring wholeness. The passages that had told told the Ethiopian eunuch in the Old Testament that he was because of who he is, a a eunuch, that he was separated. Later on in the passage, it says, through the suffering servant, he can be brought near and he can be fruitful. It says that hope awaits him. So Philip tells him that. He, uh, He introduces him to hope. And he says, that suffering servant took on all of your brokenness. He took it all on himself. And he died and he rose again to prove that his sacrifice was acceptable. So now the brokenness that you bring to the table, it's been dealt with. It's done. All you have to do is to believe. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the one that saves. That that wall that was between you and God, it actually is there. And it's there because of who you are, a sinner, unworthy of the presence of God. But when you believe in Jesus, that wall breaks down and you move forward and you can have a right relationship with God through Christ. So if you're the type of person that you relate to the Ethiopian eunuch in that sense, I just want to say that that's how simple all the kids that were being baptized today, they testified to the simple truth of believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Um, And I'd like to ask maybe a follow-up question of what's keeping you from, from believing? If you're intrigued, if you're intrigued, then I would just like to ask what, what keeps you from taking that step of believing? It's fine. There's great reasons that are out there. Just ask somebody, ask somebody that you know, that walks with Jesus, that knows Jesus, that's a Christian. Ask me. Ask any of us, and we'd love to tell you. And we won't be offended at all.
So I'd like to invite you to do that if that's something you've never done before. And then finally, last two questions. I'm just going to ask you all two things. Um, If you will promise me at some point on your car ride somewhere, just promise me that you will turn off the radio and just for a couple minutes ask yourself one of these two questions. One, where is your get up and go not becoming a got up and went? Where do you feel the Lord prompting? What relationships need to be mended? Uh, What forgiveness needs to be extended? Uh, What move needs to be made? Where is the Spirit prompting you? Where are you making excuses for why you can't get up and go? Where are you making things too complicated? So first question, how how does your get up and go become a got up and went? Secondly, what is your character and life shaping you toward? Philip's ministry was deeply anchored in his character. And sometimes we can just go about life passively, uh, where it's like, okay, well, the next step in leadership is this, and then the next step is this, and then the next step is this. And we spend no time reflecting on who God has formed us and made us to be. And sure, we can go into other places in ministry or at work, and we can thrive, and we can do fine, but it might not be the fullness of what he has for us. So I'd like to encourage you at some point in a silent drive to just say, okay, take a step back as an 18-year-old, as a 50-year-old, as an 80-year-old, take a step back and say, who's God made me to be? Yes, I'm his child. Yes, I'm beloved. Who's he made me to be in this world at this moment, at this time? And to just ask for the, the Spirit for help. Um, okay, so those are the two questions. Ask those, and I'd be so grateful. Uh, We're going to continue our celebration service by by saying goodbye to some babies. Um, So we have a senior class that's leaving Grace Bible Church Southwood. Um, We've told them this all the time. Um, We'll, you know, give them big heads and then college will crush them. It's fine. Um, But we we want for you to know church because y'all may not interact with these people. Um, this has become a body of believers who really um, indicates and lives out what, what Philip was faithful to. And this is a body of people that have been faithful to follow Christ, to invite others into a relationship with him. And what we're doing this morning is we're commissioning, commissioning them into the world. So we're going to have them uh, come up and introduce themselves. And there we go. And then we'll pray for them. Hello. Okay. Howdy. Howdy. Hi, my name is Christian. Um, I'm graduating from a Consolidated High School, and I'll be attending Blinn next year. Howdy, everyone. My name is Cassidy Basinger. So throughout high school, I was homeschooled, and then next year, I'm going to Texas A&M. Hey, everyone. My name is Natalie Basinger. I was homeschooled, and I'm going to be going to A&M in the fall. Hi, my name is Erin Clendenin. I'm gra- I graduated. I'm graduating from College Station High School, and I'll be attending Texas A&M Corpus Christi in the fall. Uh, I'm Jack Ely. I'm graduating from A&M Consolidated High School, and I'll be attending A&M next year. Hi, my name is Melanie Evans. Um, I'm graduating from CSHS, and I plan to attend A&M in the spring. Hi, I'm Grant Edens. I graduated Consol, and I will be attending Grinnell College. 
Hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm graduating from Adam Gasol High School, and I'll be attending Texas Tech University in the fall. Hi, guys. My name is Emily. Um, I'm graduating from College Station High School, and I will be heading off to SFA. Hi, I'm Joshua Martin, and I'm graduating from AM Consolidated High School, and I'm going to Texas AM. Hi, I'm Brian McCord. Uh, I'm graduating from College Station High School, and I'll be attending Texas AM University. Howdy. Hoorah. All right, I'm Derek Jurgens, and uh, I am graduating from a homeschool, and then after that, I'll be moving on to Blend College and hopefully AM. Keep my fingers crossed. Hi, I'm Matthew McGinnis. I'm graduating from College Station High School, and I'll be attending Texas A&M University. Hi, I'm Noah McGuffey. I graduated from Consol, and I will be attending Texas A&M University. Hi, my name is Mackenzie Mitchell. I'm graduating from A&M Consolidated, and I'm going to Northern Kentucky University. Hi, I'm Joseph Morales. I'm graduating from A&M Consolidated, and I'm going to A&M in the spring. Hello, my name is Emmanuel Amelia. I'll be graduating from A&M Consolidated High School, and my plans are to attend the University of Arkansas this fall. Hi, my name is Nan Ofsker, and I'm graduating from A&M Consolidated High School, and I'll be attending Baylor University in the fall. Howdy. Howdy. I'm Wells Peterson. I graduate, I'm graduating from A&M Consolidated High School, and I will be going to Texas A&M University. Hi, my name is James Rude. I'm graduating from Consol, and I'm going to A&M also. Hi, my name is Megan Schlatter. I'm graduating from Consol, and I'll be attending Texas A&M. Hi, my name is Abby White. I'm graduating from College Station High School, and I'll be attending the University of Arkansas. Howdy, y'all. I'm Hannah West. I'm graduating from CSHS, and I'll be going to A&M. Yeah. Would bow with me and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this group. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them. We pray, Lord, that the fellowship that they experience now, the solidarity of their relationship with you um, and with one another would continue. Uh, Lord, would you provide them with amazing churches uh, that they can be fed by and they can, uh, they can serve in. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would allow them to, uh, um, to, to feel encouraged, uh, to help them to feel like they're sent out from us, that our love goes with them. Um, but thank you for the ways that they testify to your goodness and your greatness. And we uh, give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. And you are all dismissed.